two weeks ago, partnering with six other local churches, we launched Alpha at Cutters Point Coffee Shop here in Gig Harbor. If you're not familiar with Alpha, Alpha is a safe place for those who wouldn't call themselves Christians to explore the Christian faith through conversation. One of my favorite stories so far from this Alpha was of a woman who was brought up in a predominantly Muslim country, but now lives in Gig Harbor. She had been suffering with an illness, but she met a Christian one day while she was shopping at Met Market, and this Christian prayed for her for healing, and God healed her. Then this Christian turned around and invited her to come to Alpha, and she said, well, yeah, I'd love to come. I need to hear more about this God who healed me. So on the first night she showed up, and uh, she was sharing, I I want to know more about who this God is who healed me. And she asked this question. She said, how can I get to know this God? And in response to this, a man at her table shared that we can get to know God because he gives us the helper, that is, the Holy Spirit. And she said, hang on a second, say that again. He said, we can get to know God because he gives us the helper, that is, the Holy Spirit. She said, that's crazy. I had a dream last night in which I was tasked with finding someone called the helper. Isn't that nuts? God chooses to reveal himself in the most remarkable ways. And in fact, stories of God revealing himself in dreams to people who are in the Muslim world are becoming more and more common. And yet, we tend to kind of be stunned and awed when God reveals himself in these sort of miraculous ways. You know, I think we tend to think that typically people find God themselves rather than God revealing himself to us. But in today's passage from the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is going to tell us that the only way we can come to know God is if he reveals himself to us. My name's Ellis. I'm one of the pastors here at Chapel Hill. Really glad that you have joined us, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online. We're continuing our series through Luke's biographical account of the life of Jesus. We call it the Gospel of Luke. We're going back to where we left things off before Easter. We're going back to chapter 10 of Luke's Gospel. You might want to grab a Bible or a Bible app and turn there right now. Luke 10. Uh, Luke kicks off chapter 10 by sending out 72 of his followers to go on a mission trip. And actually, it's incredibly similar, this sending of the 72, to when Jesus, a chapter earlier, sent out the 12 apostles. There's lots of similarities there, but he now widens this group from 12 to 72. And after the 72 return from this missions trip, Jesus debriefs them on the events of their trip. And then Jesus bursts into prayer. And that's where we're going to pick things up in chapter 10. Verse 21 is where we're going to start reading. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, 
and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last weekend, my nine-year-old daughter, Evelyn, needed to conduct a science experiment for a school project. It involved getting a group of people together to taste both brand name and generic snacks, pretzels, mints, peanut butter cups. And in order to make sure that we didn't guess which one was brand and which one was generic, we needed to be blindfolded. Now, Evelyn had prepared everything. She bought all the snacks. She'd made a questionnaire for each one of the participants. She got it all set up. We sat down. We were ready to do it. And she said, how are we going to blindfold 10 people? I went, I think we've got a box of old face masks in the garage. And so we improvised. This is a picture of how all of us begin life, spiritually speaking. All of us begin life unable to see the reality of the kingdom of God, the salvation that there is through faith in Jesus. And Jesus says in this passage that God removes that blindfold from us, so to speak. God reveals the reality of the kingdom of God to us. I once was blind, but now I see, as the famous hymn goes. And yet Jesus makes a crucial point here. The revealing of the kingdom, the removal of the blindfold, he says, is something that takes place according to the will of the Father. Take a look again at verse 21. Jesus prays, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Or as the the footnote says in the ESV here, you could translate that, for so it pleased you well. That removal of the spiritual blindfold, that revealing of the truth of the kingdom of God, is something that takes place, Jesus says, on the basis of the Father's will, at the Father's good pleasure. You know, in the same way that when we were doing that taste test, I wasn't allowed to take my blindfold off until my daughter Evelyn decided it was time to take the blindfolds off. I was at the mercy of her good pleasure. Jesus says in the same way, spiritually, it is when God decides to remove the blindfold, when he wills it, when it pleases him to remove that spiritual blindness that we are enabled to see. And this right here is the big idea that we see running through this passage. God reveals. God is the one who removes the blindfold, not us. We don't take off the blindfold. God does. And and Jesus doubles down on this in the next verse. He says that you can't come to know the Father unless the Son chooses to reveal Him. So in in verse 21, he says, you can't come to know the kingdom of God unless the Father chooses to reveal it to you. And in the next verse, he says, you can't come to know the Father unless the Son chooses to reveal it to you. It is God who reveals Himself to us before we discover Him. Now, I recognize this probably doesn't jive very well with our American, Western view of the world. 
we have a high value of personal freedom, a high value of personal autonomy. We don't like anyone telling us what to do. We like to be in control and make the choice ourselves. I mean, just think about how you felt the first time, said to you, the first time someone said to you, you've got to put one of these on. You didn't like it, did you? you? It was fine to choose to do it for someone else. That's okay. But to be told, you have to put one of these on? We don't like that. We like to have personal freedom. We like to have autonomy. And so the idea that we are spiritually blind unless God chooses to reveal the reality of his kingdom to us, that probably irks you a little, right? But I want to make the case that this is good news. Why? Because the Father chooses to reveal the kingdom to unlikely people. Take a look again at at verse 21. Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. That he's hidden these things. The people you'd expect to be able to know them, the wise and understanding, they have been hidden. But to those who you might not expect, little children, he revealed them. Last week, we baptized a lot of little children who all professed faith in Jesus. And we really, truly believe that they know Jesus and have come to know Jesus. We don't think that you need to have a high school diploma or a college degree in order to come to know Jesus and see the reality of God's kingdom. We believe that God the Father reveals the reality of his kingdom even to little children. The Father is the one who chooses to reveal Jesus to us. In other words, your age or your education doesn't matter to the Father. He chooses to reveal Jesus to us based purely upon his will. And it's not just age. If we look in the surrounding verses, we see some other unlikely people to whom the Father is revealing the kingdom. Earlier in verses 13 and 14, Jesus calls out two Jewish cities, Chorazin and Bethsaida, and he tells them, you are no better off than two Gentile cities. Here he's talking about race. He's talking about which family you were born into. Take a look. Verse 13, he says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you, that is done in these Jewish cities, have been done in Tyre and Sidon, that's in two Gentile cities, they, the Gentiles, would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon, for the Gentiles, than it will be for you, the Jews. Jesus is saying that even if you've been born into the, quote, right family, That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have the eyes to see the kingdom of God. The people in Chorazin and Bethsaida did not have eyes to see it, even though the mighty works were in front of them. And in fact, that's exactly what's going on in the life of that Muslim woman I told you about at the beginning, right? She wasn't born into the, quote, right family, but yet God is choosing to reveal the reality of his kingdom to her anyway. So age doesn't matter. 
And now now race doesn't matter either. And then Jesus tells us that status, your social standing, doesn't matter either. Later in verses 23 and 24, Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, you are blessed because you get to see things that prophets and kings, those of high status, high social standing, never got to see. Take a look at these verses. Then turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you, that many prophets and kings, many people of high standing, desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus says, even if you want someone of high status, someone who's well-respected in the community, well-respected in your nation, like a prophet or a king, even to people who are not like that, God still chooses to reveal himself. You know, about this time last year, our live stream views suddenly went through the roof. Like we had just one week, five times as many people watch our live stream. And the same thing happened the next week. We rejoiced, obviously. We were excited that that more people were being reached with the, the good news about Jesus. But then we began to wonder, why is this happening? Like, why do you go from one week to the next and there's five times more people watching the live stream. So we went in the back end of YouTube where you got a bunch of analytics tools, and we discovered that YouTube had begun recommending our videos to others on YouTube, and those others that it was recommending them to had been viewing sexually explicit videos. Now, we were a little concerned about this. Why would our worship services be recommended to people watching those sorts of videos? So we dug a little bit deeper. You know how before the preacher gets up to preach, we pray that little 30-second video so that we have time to move this pulpit up here and make a smooth transition? Call it a sermon bumper. The music for the sermon bumper is like this music that we pick from a rights-free catalog of music. It's always instrumental. It never has lyrics. But what we discovered was that the music that we had selected for that particular month, that particular sermon series, had the title Sexy Time Music. Now, of course, none of us knew that, but the YouTube algorithm did. And so the YouTube algorithm linked our videos with these other videos and began recommending them to people who watched those videos. And do you know what's amazing? Hundreds of people clicked on our worship services. Even more amazing, dozens of people watched the whole way through. Pastor Mark said to our team, it's it's amazing. Pastor Mark said to our team, can you repeat this next month? It's a new mission field. (laughs) The Father chooses to reveal himself to whomever he pleases, even to people watching inappropriate YouTube content. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter your education, it doesn't matter your status. God reveals himself to whomever he wills. And although that might not seem like good news at first, it is. It's good news because it means that people from all backgrounds, all walks of life, all levels of education, all nations can come to know their creator and redeemer, Jesus Christ. And perhaps most significantly for you, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, the Father has chosen to reveal Jesus to you, not on the basis of your age 
or lack thereof. Not on the basis of your education or lack thereof. Not on the basis of the family that you were born into or the family you wished you had been born into. Not on the basis of your status in the world, whether high or low. The Father revealed himself, a Father revealed Jesus to you because it pleased him to do so. No other reason. God is the one who reveals Jesus to us. And this right here, this is the scandal of the gospel. This is the, the scandalous nature of the good news about Jesus. Those who think themselves deserving of God's grace. Well, I'm older, or I'm wiser, or I'm more mature, or I've, I've got a college degree, or I was, I was born into a good family, they raised me well, or I'm well respected in the community. Those who think themselves deserving of God's grace find out that actually they don't have it. And those who think themselves undeserving, ah, oh, I'm just... I'm not very smart. I don't quite get it. I never, I never went to college. Well, those who, oh man, if you knew my family, I have such a messed up family. Such a, such a bad background. Or those who, I, no one likes me. No, one, no one's my friend. No one respects me. To those very people, surprisingly, scandalously, God chooses to reveal himself. The ones whom the world rejects, God accepts. God reveals. God reveals. So what is our response to this reality that Jesus tells us about? Well, he gives us two responses. And the first response is, we rejoice. God reveals, we rejoice. When the 72 come back from their mission trip, they begin raving to Jesus about all the amazing things that God has done through them. And although Jesus is glad, he tells them that the most important thing in which to rejoice is not the works that God has done through them, but in the reality that God has saved them. Take a look at verses 17 to 20. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. We sang those lyrics earlier. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You know, the 72 were coming off this big spiritual high. They'd seen God do amazing things, incredible works. We had a big spiritual high last Sunday, didn't we, if you were here? In fact, if you, if you weren't here, or even if you were, let's just recap what happened last Sunday with the baptisms. Baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Profession of your faith, Michaela Ray Blocker, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Take these on profession of your faith. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Tyler William Howe, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. River Bradford, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Zachariah Spencer Hallam, I baptize you in the name of the Father, 
and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Eleanor, Claire, Nimrick, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Even Victoria Anzi, on profession of your faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Crew Cromweedy, on profession of your faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Jet Cromweedy, on profession of your faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Wyatt Daniel McCurry, on profession of your faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. David Petrick, on profession of your faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Alyssa Grace King, on profession of your faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We should rejoice, right, on days like last Sunday. Big spiritual highs where we see God doing amazing things in our midst, just like the 72 experienced on their mission trips. But if we only rejoice on days like that, what happens on an ordinary day? on an ordinary Sunday, or, or worse, what happens on a day when we hit real spiritual lows? When it feels like there's a, there's a glass ceiling above us and our prayers are just bouncing back. And maybe some people have referred to that as the dark night of the soul. What happens on those days? Well, Jesus tells us that the source of our joy should not be spiritual highs, but the source of our joy should be that our names are written in heaven. That is, we should rejoice in the fact that the Father has chosen us. He's written our name in his book, and he has redeemed us. He has restored us to relationship with himself, and he will keep us in the name of Jesus for all eternity. Why should we rejoice in that? Because even on our bad days, that reality doesn't change. I'm sure you know what it feels like to not get chosen for something, to not be good enough for something. Maybe it was a job that you didn't get, or a school you didn't get into, or a sports team for which you didn't make the cut. I remember getting cut from my college rugby team right before the biggest game of the season. It was devastating. I felt so awful. We know the pain of not being good enough right? Not being good enough to be chosen for something. We know the pain of being cut. What if faith was like that? What if one day suddenly we weren't good enough and we got cut from the kingdom of God? Well, praise Jesus that our faith is not like that. In Christ, it is the very opposite. We are chosen by the Father, not because of anything we've done, not because of any family we've been born into, not because of any education we have, not because of any status we have. We are chosen simply because it pleased the Father to do so. And there's nothing we can do to please Him more, and there's nothing we can do to please Him less. He chose us, He loves us because it brings Him pleasure. Nothing else. And that's what Jesus is calling His disciples to rejoice in. 
That's the good news of the kingdom of God. Yes, you're going to have these spiritual highs, but you're also going to have these spiritual lows, but there is a constant that goes throughout it. And that is that God has written your name in his book. He has chosen you. He has called you. He has set you apart. He has redeemed you, brought you into his family. You've been adopted as a son and a daughter of the most high God, and he will keep you in his family for all eternity. We are his. And if we choose to rejoice in that, we can find joy even on the bad days. When things go wrong, when we make mistakes, when we fall short, when the pain comes, that constant doesn't change. We are his. So God reveals, we rejoice. There's another response as well. If you're like me, you're probably hearing this talk of God being the one to take off the blindfold and and you're saying to yourself, but Ellis, what about the people who still don't know Jesus? Well, God isn't finished yet. There are still many, many more people to whom God is going to reveal himself and he has a part for you to play in that. God wants to use you to reach those people. And that's the second response to this reality that God reveals. First, we rejoice. Second, we reap. There are still people to whom God is revealing himself right now. And yes, God could reveal himself to them in any way that he deems fit. But God's preferred method is to use the people who've already come to know Jesus to go and share the good news of the kingdom of God with those to whom he is currently revealing it. Take a look at the first couple of verses of chapter 10 with me where Jesus sends out the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus says. There are many, many people to whom the Lord has yet to reveal himself, is in the process of revealing Jesus too. And he will reveal himself to them. But what's the holdup? The holdup is that God wants to use us in order to reveal himself to, all the, to those people. And here's the catch. Jesus says to his 72 that he sends out, there's not enough of you. 72 isn't enough. This harvest is so great. There's so, so many people out there to whom God is revealing himself. We need more laborers. And he says to the 72, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send more laborers out into the harvest fields. And do you know what? You are the answer to the prayer of those 72. You are the laborers that those 72 were praying for, the laborers who were to be sent out to reap the harvest that God has sown. You are the ones that God wants to use in order to reveal Jesus to others. Uh, Just over a year ago, a member of this church texted me and he said, hey, Ellis, uh, my neighbor is your son's baseball coach 
my wife invited his wife to Alpha. Would you invite him to go to Alpha with you? And I hadn't been planning to go to Alpha. I was quite looking forward to Wednesday nights at home, just relaxing. And so I wanted to text him back and say, kind of snarky, why don't you invite him yourself? But I didn't. I held back. I was nice. I texted back and I said, sure, I'll invite him. So I texted my son's baseball coach. I said, this is what Alpha is. I'd love to invite you to come and join me. And within an hour, he'd responded. And he said, yes, absolutely. I'd love to do that. Now, little did I know that God had already been at work in the life of my son's baseball coach. Several months before that, when he was at a low point, he, he just felt this sudden urge to pray. And, and he was brought up Catholic, so he associated prayer with church. And so he said, I've got to go to a church to pray. And he went to the only church that he knew of in Gig Harbor, and it was Chapel Hill. And he came in here, and he went into the prayer chapel, and he knelt down on his knees, and for the first time in years, he prayed to God. And then a couple of months after that, him and his wife had this urge one weekend to go to church. So they came to Chapel Hill on a Sunday morning, and who was preaching that morning? But it was myself and, and my wife, Rachel. And then two days later, who should show up to the first baseball practice of the season? But the two pastors that he had heard preach on Sunday, the first time he'd been to church in years and years and years. God was already at work in my son's coach's life, was already at work revealing himself. And so when he and his wife came to Alpha, it, it was kind of like just a done deal. Like they, they came for a few weeks, they got invited to commit their lives to Jesus, and they went, yeah, we want to do that. Why wouldn't we? And last weekend, they took vows to become members of Chapel Hill, and I got to baptize their two sons who have also professed faith in Jesus. But here's, here's the thing, right? All I did was send a text message. Like God had already been at work revealing himself to this family. He'd already been at work taking off those spiritual blindfolds that had prevented them from seeing the reality of the kingdom of God. All I did was got to come in at the last moment and just kind of reap the harvest. God was the one who was at work, but he so graciously allowed me to join in, to go out into the harvest field and to reap what he had sown. And I wonder, to whom in your life is God right now revealing himself? Maybe it's someone you don't even expect. Maybe you don't even realize that God's doing it. It could be a neighbor or a co-worker or a family member or your barista or your workout partner or your kid's sports coach. Right now, God is removing the blindfold from their eyes. And right now, God is saying, I need you to be the one who goes and shares the good news of the kingdom of God with them. I'm doing the work of taking the blindfold off, but I want to use you to share the gospel with them. And it could just be as simple as an invite to Alpha. It could be that easy. And the question before you is, will you go? Will you be used by God? Will you go out into the harvest fields to reap the harvest? This is our last chance this week to invite people to Alpha. 
Tuesday night at Curtis Point for adults, Wednesday for middle schoolers here at the church. Maybe there's someone in your life that you can invite to join you at Alpha, someone that God is already at work revealing himself. God reveals, we rejoice, we reap. Let's say that together. God reveals, we rejoice, we reap. God reveals. The Father reveals himself to people, not on the basis of age, not on the basis of race, not on the basis of status, not because of any good or bad work that we do or are going to do in the future, but purely on the basis of his good pleasure. And we rejoice. This is good news. It means there's nothing you can do to get cut from the team. You're in, even on your bad days, even when you fail, it's still true. Rejoice in that. And finally, we reap. The harvest is plentiful. There are many people to whom God is revealing himself right now. And he's inviting you to go out and reap the harvest. Perhaps there's someone you need to reach out to this week. Maybe today. Do it. God wants you to play a part in the greatest harvest ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you called us. We thank you that you chose us and adopted us into your family. We thank you that in and through Jesus, you did everything necessary for that to take place. That in the person of Jesus Christ, you bore our sin and its consequences on the cross. You died the death that we deserve to die. And that now you have poured out your Holy Spirit upon us. The Spirit that causes us to cry, Abba, Father. We are a part of your family. We rejoice in that. And there's nothing we believe that can separate us from you. You will keep us in your name for now and all eternity. We choose to rejoice in that. Whatever we are facing today, whatever we are going through, Whatever might have happened in the last week, whatever we might have done, whatever we might regret, we choose today to believe that we are yours and nothing will change that. And we rejoice. But Lord, there are people in our lives we know you are revealing who Jesus is to them right now. Lord, we ask that you would continue that work of revelation and we ask God, would you use us We are your laborers. Send us out to the harvest that we might reap the harvest that you have sown. Lord, we give ourselves to you this morning. We devote ourselves to you. We know we don't do this in our own strength, but we do it by the power of Jesus Christ that work in us by your Holy Spirit. So Lord, we're yours. Use us. For your kingdom purposes, we pray in Jesus' name.
Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.
be